start this puppy. Right on. Get this party started. Derek, we've got some special guests today. Uh, would you do the honors, please? We, we do, and I will. Um, I'm getting back to citing episode numbers, believe it or not, and in, in running into the fog. And we're in this kind of funky, chaotic transition zone, if you will, around, you know, like long form pre-recorded 90 days ago podcasts and the live stream formats that'll go up into the, into the running into the fog archives. So I might be off and give me a little grace if I do get this one wrong or miscite it down the road, but I'm going to call this episode 32. And episode 32 is all about wargaming and the, the wargaming experts that we have on, on the line happen to be good friends of ours, happen to be colleagues uh, here at our firm, Aurora. And uh, I'd like to first introduce John Westberg as Director of Market Insights here at Aurora, JW. Welcome. First time on the podcast, is hey. that right? First, first time on the podcast. First time on a podcast. On any podcast, so. okay. Cool. Welcome. Yep. Awesome. We'll try to go easy. Uh, and Mr. Tim Smith, Director of Competitive Simulations, coming to us from Southern California. Tim, welcome. Thank you. John stole my thunder with the uh, the likely excuse I might need, given this is the first part, uh, first podcast for myself as well. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Well, uh, a couple of Virgin podcast guests with us here today, Derek. We'll be gentle with you. Um, we have a fifth uh, panelist, by the way, and that is Open Recon Directly. And the reason I'm going to bring up Open Recon Directly is because, uh, and you know what? I am going to have that replace. Let me remove the spotlight and then I'm going to replace the spotlight so you can see it full screen. The reason I want uh, Open Recon here, and if you're wondering who Open Recon is, Open Recon is the inanimate uh, object known as our stakeholder reconnaissance community platform that was been, has been under construction for the last year or so. Uh, and what you see uh, in the form of that QR code on the screen in front of you is known as a POAP. Uh, a proof of attendance protocol QR code, which is linked behind that QR code. Uh, and I'll give you an example of what a POAP looks like in the real world here by sharing this screen. Uh, about a month ago, Derek and I, on our last uh, unthinkable uh, segment, we uh, promoted during the um, Death to Tyrants Day, uh, March 15th, which of course is the Ides of March, uh, we made these available for the very first time. And this in particular is known as an unspeakable contributor POAP. Uh, there will only be seven unspeakable contributors in all of time for April 12th of 2022. And four of them are on the screen right now. The other three will be contributors who remark in chat and have a remark that is good enough that we decide we wanna bring you on camera with us. And if you're too shy to come on camera, no problem. We'll just unmute you. But you have to be in the Zoom meeting in order to do this. You're not going to be able to be an un unspeakable contributor unless you join the Zoom meeting. So what I need you all to do is to go out to openrecon.com. And if you just put slash events on the end of that, you'll see the events uh, calendar there. And if you click on today's event, um, there is still time to register. And once you register down below... Uh, you can give us your first name, last name, and email address, and then you can join the bridge. So that's my call to action before we get started, everybody, is join the actual Zoom bridge. If you're watching this on social, uh, you cannot join the unspeakable portion starting in about 30 minutes. Um, so, uh, Derek, I'll turn this back to you. If you, I'll give you another 
I don't know, 10 seconds to leave that QR code up there for scanning. Uh, John and Tim, you guys don't need to scan it because you're cool like that. And I've already got your public wallet addresses where we're going to drop these POAPs. Uh, and I understand John's is out and back uh, buried underneath his, uh, his backyard. So um, let me go ahead and uh, get the spotlight off. And Derek, why don't you get us kind of wound up here? Yeah, you know, a little bit of history for our listeners today. So we have um, a first kind of premier intelligence community trade show in three years happening in less than two weeks. And a few months ago, JW, Tim, and I were jamming on, you know, hey, what, what could we bring to the community that might be a valuable kind of series of lessons that could be used? And we thought, why not do a wargaming workshop at SCIP, SCIP, stands for Strategic and Competitive Intelligence Professionals. So in a couple of weeks out at uh, SCIP Minneapolis, their Intellicon program, Tim, JW, myself, and a, a surprise mystery guest who I'm not going to name here on the podcast, but uh, you're going to love them. Um, the four of us are going to jam for a full day with upwards of 30 or so that are already signed up for that workshop and kind of really go deep on process as well as war stories. And these war stories are going to be things that are uh, sometimes going to have happy endings and other times not such happy endings. And, you know, that's the fun thing about what we do for our, for our careers. Right, Tim? Right, JW? <clears throat> you know, from... The standpoint of uh, a little bit about the Joe Bros. So in the prior 31 or so episodes of Running Into the Fog, if you've listened to those, we we take every opportunity. We don't miss an opportunity to cast a little bit of shade at the Johnson brothers. And I'm going to do that again here. So, you know, outside of the obvious of how you have four middle-aged white guys on a podcast this afternoon, um, I'm going to go a step further and suggest that Eric and I have extremely different personalities, um, so much so that it's been said here inside of our tiny little operation that Derek is very much the protector of the castle. Eric is the attacker of the castle. And I think that that probably is, for those that know us, a pretty good way to think about us uh, and the differences between the Joe Bros. Um, I'm going to take that a step further and suggest that you know, there's an old saying, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, I tend to comfort the afflicted, and Eric tends to afflict the comfortable. And I think that in context of this conversation today that we're having about wargaming, maybe that's a good way to think about our co-moderator responsibilities. Eric, what do you think? I like it. And, you know, when we were kids, that was a recreational activity that we just did for fun. But now we do it professionally. Uh, so right. if you need some afflicting, I'm here for you. Um, beautiful. Awesome. So, you know, here's where you come in, Tim, John. Now let's let's get started here. Uh, you know, we got about 22 or so minutes left in this kind of unthinkable uh, zone of the podcast today. What what are some of your favorite war stories, if you will, around war gaming that uh, you're free and clear to speak about? Obviously, you've got dozens, if not hundreds, but you know we have to draw the line somewhere. You know, where what what are some of those situations? And take an opportunity to describe what we're seeing here on the screen for our listeners when you do. What are some of those situations that you want to share today that kind of those uh, too good not to be described in at least some format you know, for our listeners today? What do you think? Well, it's never a great idea to start a presentation with an apology, 
but um, I'm going to apologize to Eric. He knows I'm a pathological liar. I promise to, uh, to keep this entertaining and not talk too much about process, but I do want to start with one point on process, which is, uh, and this kind of ties into what you led with too, um, Derek, when you talked about the workshop we're going to run. Um, I think what sets apart how we run these sessions, whether you want to call it a war game, not a very popular term currently in today's geopolitical environment, um, but whether you call it a simulation, market simulation, competitive simulation, whatever term you use, um, I think what's critical and what, what separates how we run these engagements is that we incorporate a planning phase into the game. So the game is not just the competitive aspect of learning about the competition and woohoo, we all, we all leaving the session on the same page and understanding our strategy and why we're doing what we're doing, um, but really taking it to that further step and ensuring that you take decisive action um, when you leave the game. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, John, if you want to go first with um, a little story, we obviously could go on forever, but we've got about 20 minutes here. So um, maybe we'll touch on four or five, whatever we get to. Yeah, sure. Um, so as Tim mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about wargaming, competitive simulations. This is uh, part of uh, our day jobs here in the competitive intelligence world is, you know, taking the information that we're gaining about competitors and the landscapes and applying it to the real world. Um, but it's hard to talk about these without getting into two specifics. And, and uh, so we're going to talk about these. I'm going to, I have a few examples and Tim has a few examples of uh, war games and how we've used them and, and how they work well and how they don't. And I think each of them, you'll find components where they work well and they didn't. But going back to 2018, 2019, uh, uh, we were working on a few different games uh, uh, with some of our clients, uh, focused on uh, sort of a large uh, strategic shift that were potentially on the horizon. Uh, in particular, looking at what happens when there's going to be an economic slowdown or a recession. And I think that's important to talk about today here because um, you, you, some of you might have seen the news: the you know yield curve is inverting again, which it, it did back in 2019, um, where you know short-term rates are higher than long-term rates, which is a uh, could be indicative potentially of a recession. So back in 2019, uh, we were working with a large CPG company that was looking to protect itself from a potential recession. Um, and they thought that uh, uh, the last time that they had gone through a recession, uh, their company had a very conservative stance. It had a, uh, a very different composition to its C-suite and its board of directors and, and played defensive. Uh, you know, this was the, the financial crisis, you know, 2007, 2008. Um, uh, and, and, and they just felt that if this happens again, they want to avoid uh, the same pitfalls they, they, they went through last time, which was really just playing defensive, not going after the competition, not going after market share. So we sat down with them and helped them design a game, uh, uh, basically uh, um, taking um, what they know about their current landscape with their competitors. So intelligence on their, their main competitors. This is an industry in CPG where there's two or three, you know, 600 pound gorillas and then just many, many, many small players. So we designed the game to sort of capture both what uh, they should do as a team competing in the game, as well as some of their huge competitors. And then we threw in a few small emergent competitors. Um, this was a game with the C-suite of this particular uh, company involved. So CEO and all of their direct reports. Um, that's tough to run a game, as Tim will say, with, with people at that level, because they oftentimes don't have time to sit down and study the competitors read pre-read information that goes into the game and participate in sort of developing the concepts or scenarios for the game. So we also supplemented the team's 
of the game with uh, subject matter experts, you know, vice presidents and directors from throughout the company. So that each team had a balance. So if you had the CFO on one team, uh, you know, you'd put a, a vice president of product on that team as well as an R&D scientist or something like that. So we're kind of balancing things out. And we essentially threw a scenario at them. This was in 2019 of a, uh, a huge recession, uh, um, uh, you know, a sort of a, a soft Great Depression, so to speak, uh, coming in uh, 2020. And we threw these scenarios at them. We had, uh, they had a home team playing as themselves. And then they had their 600 pound gorilla competitors as well as some of the smaller competitors. So I think we had five or six teams there competing. And essentially they were tasked with uh, how aggressive can you respond in a recession? Uh, what levers can you pull this time that you didn't pull last time? Uh, topics that came up, mergers and acquisitions. So was there a potential to gobble up some of those smaller competitors? Um, they have uh, billions of dollars in reserves uh, in funding, which they'd historically used for sort of conservative approaches like stock buybacks, et cetera. We basically said no more conservative approaches in this game. You have to spend that money or you have to use that money to capture market share in a recession. And that's what they did. Um, you know, they kind of explored uh, in this uh, one day session we did uh, a lot of aggressive, uh, 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 both defensive and offensive tactics against their competitors. And essentially came up with a list of uh, 40 or 50 scenarios that they could act on, of which we whittled down to three or four that we created an action plan around, which would be essentially the levers that they can pull to aggressively capture market share during a recession. Now, this was August, uh, September, October of 2019. Uh, what happens in March? A huge recession. Now, what's interesting about this is, and this is a sort of a blind spot that happened in the war game, is we never thought it would be a recession caused by a massive uh, pandemic. Um, that being said, it didn't really matter because the output of the game, the levers that they had to pull were the same regardless of what triggered this. Being a CPG company, uh, as everyone else here knows, uh, what did people start doing immediately in the recession is they start hoarding CPG products. Um, because of their aggressive stance that they had taken uh, going into a recession, they decided that uh, they're going to double down in discounting, they're going to double down in pricing, uh, they're going to double down in uh, product assortment, uh, they essentially were able to capture a significant share of margin from their competitors. Uh, they, their stock uh, never took a hit during the recession. Uh, uh, I think it was over 20%, grew 20% faster than the S&P 500 throughout the recession, uh, pandemic recession and coming out of that. So moral of the story there is if you design a good war game uh, and you have the right levers to pull coming out of that and the right strategies in place, regardless of what really happens in the real world, uh, you're in much better position than you would be otherwise. I don't know if there's any questions on that, or Kim, you have other examples you want to share? That, sure. That's an example of one that went well and worked well, but um, but again, um, there's, there's you know, a lot of components in there that uh, uh, can go differently depending on your audience. Yeah, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and um, so my wife tells me that I'm not funny. Um, when I talk about work with her, she basically, it's the equivalent of, of mainlining Ambien, uh, puts her to sleep immediately, but... Um, <laughs> I will, uh, I will bring up the titillating uh, topic of the day, which is going back, this is going back about 20 years. So this is uh, going into ancient history here. Uh, we are gonna change the names to protect the innocent, although there were probably no innocent parties in this particular story. But um, if you think back to uh, the age where Viagra was coming onto the scene and it was the, uh, the, uh, the, all, the praise be for, uh, for so many Americans um, that looked similar to me um, at the time, 
um, you know, there were competitors that were obviously trying to get into this market. And if anybody wants to jump in the chat and let us know what uh, Viagra was originally designed to do. So um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a completely different indication that this drug was developed for. Um, but there were simulations run on other indications that could be possibly run. And some of the competitors coming into the market were like, look, we've got to get up to speed quickly. All right. So they were moving very fast. Um, they weren't let's say, considering all of the options and all of the unintended consequences that come along with um, getting into that ED market where Viagra was just you know, taking the world over. Uh, so at the time, one of the competitors ran a simulation, a war game exercise, looking at the potential market scenarios they would have to deal with. And it was fascinating because this is one of those kind of lessons learned that you can walk away from this in thinking about who to invite to these sessions. So. I looked around the room, there was about 35 people involved in this session and they were all marketing folks, okay? So they all had great ideas. Um, you know, they're like, well, you know, we can play devil's advocate and can consider this and blah, blah, blah. We're really gonna get into the mindset of these different companies and think and act like they're gonna do. That's all great. But if you don't consider all of your key stakeholders, um, you run into problems. And in this particular example, um, where I'm going with this is, that they had nobody with a medical background. There was nobody with, <laughs> with even PhD um, after their name invited into this session. And so they're preparing for this and they're literally thinking about how are we gonna launch this product when someone raises their hand and has a simple question. Um, is anybody concerned about contraindications along with this drug? Because as they were developing all these great marketing pitches and some cute little ads they were gonna put on TV, um, everything was around the fact that how are we gonna differentiate from Viagra, okay? Think back to the, um, to the mode example that, that Derek led this, this little chat off with and the fact that you're looking for ways to defend your turf or to, to get over that wall. And so the way they thought they were gonna differentiate was, hey, look, Viagra works, no doubt about it, but we're gonna come in and you know what? You take our pill and you won't have to be ready. Okay, it's good for all weekend. This is going to stay in your system 24, 48. They even had a 72 hour um, option that was being developed. Okay, so uh, think about that. Fantastic. Great. All the marketers in the room were, were all over it. They had all, these, all this great messaging that was going to go around this. Someone raises their hand real quietly and says, Are there any concerns about this product being in here? I mean, this is a pharmaceutical company, right? What do we think about first? After efficacy, the first thing we're thinking about is safety profile. And yet nobody took that extra step. Once again, everybody's racing to the finish line as quickly as we can get there, uh, but nobody considered, do we really want a product that was originally designed for blood pressure to treat angina, to be in your system that long? <laughs> is there any concerns around that? Could our competitors counter message us with that? Oh, you're gonna take this product? Guess what? Maybe you don't want this in your system that long. Um, so once again, scrapped, scrap the launch. <laughs> Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's consider how we're gonna message. Do we need an additional clinical trial to support what our messaging is? Uh, and so once again, as to John's point that there's positives and negatives, this started off as a negative. I mean, literally you had people saying, holy crap, do we have to you know, go back to the drawing board? To, no, no, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's just, come up with some additional messaging. If we need a trial, we need a phase four trial, we'll run that, that's okay. Uh, but it's not gonna delay us too much. And it turned out to be uh, a fantastic product, been on the market for 20 years. 
Um, and uh, those concerns about the cardiac issues never actually developed. So, uh, but once again, having the right people in the room, having all of the key stakeholders that can, that can really provide some solid input to where we're going uh, is critical, right? I mean, if you don't have a doctor in the room, you better have someone who understands the clinical profile of the products you're putting out if you're in, a, in the pharmaceutical business. So, so not, so not that any of us need one, that right? <laughs> yeah, so, so so lesson one in setting up a war game, figure out who you need to invite to have the right to diversity represented in the room, you know, for those key decisions, right? So I love that story. Um, you know, when you think, guys, about the, the everybody wants to be strategic who operates in competitive intel. But I'm of the opinion that if all you ever want to do is use war games for strategic exercises, you're kind of missing big opportunities to run them on more tactical concerns. Um, do you have some examples? I, I think some of you could argue that your example, Tim was much more tactical than, than John's, but uh, mm -hmm. what do you think in, in way of the application against tactical versus strategic issues? So uh, I have a great story. This is not a happy ending uh, as opposed to the last one. <laughs> um, you know, we're not, a, we're not afraid to, uh, to show the warts in the process, so to speak, right? Think it's obvious, obviously this is my life, so I think it's a very powerful process, but there are concerns that you have to consider. And sometimes they don't get taken into account, especially if you have a sponsor for a session like this who has a predetermined outcome they're looking for. So you do have to be very careful from that stance. But uh, a good story of one that was tactical, where it was a complete disconnect with the company strategy, and we thought it was a pure win leaving the session. And actually, for the next six months, it looked like it was a fantastic win. Long-term had some devastating consequences. Um, I'll give you one from the aerospace industry. So um, this particular client was looking to go into a different part of the aircraft. So they had supplied uh, the bins. They did some of the, um, some of the audio features on, on, the, um, on the aircraft, and they were looking to get into the cockpit. Now, we all know that the cockpit is a heck of a lot more complicated than putting a TV screen in the back of a seat or putting some bins up above the seats, right? So it's a completely different game, uh, but they felt they needed to make a major move like this um, in order to, to really main, remain viable in the industry. So a lot of consolidation was going on at the time um, and they were looking to, okay, let's get into this business. So what are we gonna do? Well, we know we're gonna need partners. We can't do this alone. So, um, Ran a, ran a competitive simulation around winning a particular contract to get into the, co uh, the cockpit of the aircraft, okay? So had their typical competitors in the game. And one of the things that we designed or baked into the game was let's look at potential M&A. Who are the people we're gonna either have to acquire or partner with in order to, to make a, a good bid for this particular contract that was out there with one of the major airlines? Okay, so um, they go out, they run the simulation and they realize, okay, we're going to have to partner with these two companies. Fantastic. They run the simulation, they put together a bid, looks like we can win this. We can come in lower than our competition. I think we're going to win this. We're going to win this contract based on what we walked away from the simulation. with. And sure enough, within six months, they find out, yes, we did win. Everybody's excited. We're shifting the company's course. We're looking into, you know, expanding our operation. We're going to work with these two other companies. Well, there were not one, but two critical defects in this plan. Um, the first one was that 
one of their partners ended up holding them hostage. Okay, so this was a contract where they had to deliver on a certain date. Every day over um, on production, they were penalized. Um, and this partner basically held them up and said, you don't give us a bigger piece of the money, uh, we're not going to deliver as we promised. Okay, shady business practices, but once again, it's not too uncommon. So that was the first. The second was the commitments they needed to make from a financial standpoint, from an HR standpoint, in order to shift into this new market segment were much greater than they anticipated. Shouldn't have been too shocking, but everybody was so excited to get into this business, to shift the company, and to once again get into this new market. It was not in alignment with their current strategy. Okay. This was a stodgy old aerospace company that had been around forever. And, you know, great idea to look into new markets. But our first dive in shouldn't have been for a $300 million contract, is what the lesson was. So you do have those, once again, where it looks like it was a great positive. We put together some fantastic plans. We literally cr created their pitch, right, um, during the game. But it turned into a negative long-term because it created so many headaches for the company um, in trying to make this shift where they were out of alignment between their tactics and their strategy. Got it. What do you think, John? Yeah, good example. Uh, just overall, from a tactical perspective, if your uh, company or your organization is, is you know, investing you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of capital into any sort of tactical merger, an acquisition, a product launch, um, doing a competitive simulation, it it's, should be table stakes. It's amazing how many organizations don't do that. Um, I, medical device is an example. You know, we, we've obviously, Tim, both Tim and I have done a lot of engagements in that space. Um, you know, we, we did one recently. I, I was on a medical device um, uh, uh, launch uh, a tactical war game. And uh, they were entering a market where there was only one other product in the market. Um, so they really wanted to focus on this kind of existing competitor and how that competitor was going to attack them. So the goal of the game was to attack their own offering, which was entering the market. We also threw in a third competitor, though, that was uh, going to be like the third follower. So they were going to enter the market in two years. But we threw them in there just so that it wasn't a two-team war game, really, as sort of a, something for the team to do. But what that team did is they went above and beyond um, and basically came into the market as the third entrant. Uh, with an extremely aggressive attack at the particular med devices that were already in the market. Because these two are just competing against each other. So they could come in and say, hey, listen, we're going to do this third thing that neither of them can do. Uh, we're the newest. We're the most advanced. Uh, we're going to basically supplant both of them. Um, so the outcome of this game was um, saying not only do they need to come into the market as the sort of second entrant with this device, but they need to be prepared to be attacked from that third player. Um, so they already are working in product development so that by the time that that third player enters the market, uh, the functionality of their product is going to be equal to or better than theirs. Um, so that's something that came out of this game, ta very tactical game um, that's going to really set them ahead of both what they're already competing with and what they're going to be competing with again soon. I, I really, if you're not doing, if you're launching a product or you're investing so much money and resources to take a day out of your, uh, uh, your schedule, uh, with a little bit of planning uh, and some facilitation to, to operate a, a tactical war game, it really should be sort of a requirement. 
I love that word. <laughs> requirement. Hey guys, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I've been running the board here on the back end uh, a little bit, but I've been really enjoying your conversation. And one of the things that sort of jumped out at me, and um, we've got a bunch of questions that have come in. We've got our first uh, contributor uh, for Unspeakable Tagged and Terry Thiel. Uh, he's a regular and a uh, trusted and known uh, part of the family here at Aurora. Um, one of the things that struck me about what you said there, Tim, was you almost really need to have uh, a lawyer involved and not, you know, present company uh, appreciated <laughs> here as well, uh, Esquire. Uh, but I think you almost need to have legal involved from the very get go. And obviously, with the case of the example that you shared, they should have handled the, uh, the scenario in their legal agreements with their partner before it ever came to the point where, they were now gonna to have to fight it out in the marketplace. So any comments about that? Because war games, as I think of them, are really to expose who might help or hinder you that you haven't thought of yet. And on that note, I'm gonna throw up the POAP QR code for two more minutes, and then we're kicking over to Unspeakable. We're gonna say bye-bye to our social live streamers. If you haven't converted on openrecon.com yet, we will see you at the resurrection, I guess. Uh, but uh, Tim, any remarks on that? Yeah. So. Um... You know me, I don't like having a lawyer in the room during the engagement itself. And my rationale for that is that um, a lawyer's job is to limit. Now, they're going to tell you that they're limiting risk, but as they limit risk, they also limit opportunity. And in these simulations where, where we make sure that everything is labeled for simulation purposes only, company confidential, it's on all the documentation. We're very careful with that. Sometimes we'll even sign an NDA, everybody that walks into the room. Um, so there shouldn't be any of those concerns during the engagement, right? You want, you don't want someone in there that's going to play, um, you know, I don't want to say devil's advocate. Sometimes devil's advocate is, is a good thing, uh, but you don't want someone who's going to limit the opportunities that we're exploring because they're already thinking about, are we going to get pulled into a discovery hearing five years from now because of a discussion we had here that was, you know, anti-competitive, blah, 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 blah. You don't want that, right? So ha having said that, 100% agree with you that leading into the exercise, you definitely want someone from legal to look over what you're doing, especially if there's any M&A activity that's included in the game. Um, you do want to have some of that stuff vetted prior to the exercise um, commencing. And then to your point, after the game is over, you definitely want legal to take a look at not only the outcome, not only the planning activities we're recommending based on what we learned, but what does it mean for us? Are we going to have to, you know, generate some new contracts, you know, which is was the problem here. Everything was rushed, right? They were trying, mm. they were submitting an RFP and it was, you know, we got to get in this thing right away. So great point. All mistakes are made in a hurry, as <laughs> they say. And with that note, I would like to say thank you to the social uh, streamers who've joined us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, it's time to say goodbye uh, and go ahead and, and hit open recon, get signed up for this thing if you want to join the live stream. 